We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for October 14th, 2019. And today we're going to really be uh, concentrating a lot on what is going on in California and all the different agendas afoot regarding that because they want to bring that whole agenda to the rest of the nation. And what they're doing in California, they're beta testing right now to see how much they can get away with how really dumbed down they believe the populace is and i'm not talking about my listeners i'm just saying people in general what they can actually get away with but before we get into that i'm probably going to do almost a dedicated part on just again focusing back in on the lord jesus christ and different things that um we as christians need to be really focusing in on in today's day and age as opposed to just focusing in on all of the wickedness and the evil so the first report is called praise as a way of deliverance uh, by Derek Prince, one of the preachers I've played a lot in recent times. Uh, so it's about, you know, a little over 10 minutes here. Praise as a way of deliverance. By this I mean that when we find ourselves in some critical or desperate situation, praise opens the way for God to intervene on our behalf and work out our deliverance often on a level far higher than anything we could ever achieve merely by our own efforts. This general principle is stated in Psalm 50, verse 23. I'm going to read two different versions of this verse, which bring out different aspects of the truth. First of all, the King James. Whoso offereth praise, glorifieth me. That's God speaking. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright, will I show the salvation of God. Now, the New International Version of the same verse. He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. Now, I'm not big on NIV. You, you all know that, okay? But it's just part of the, the video here. NIV was translated by, one of the translators was a rabid uh, lesbian named Virginia Mullencott, and it's got 64,098 less words than, in the, than the KJV, but... For the purposes of this video, I'm just going to go ahead and let, it, let this play. I think that's very significant, that alternative translation. From my understanding of the Hebrew language, I would say each is a legitimate translation. But you see that the one who offers praise prepares the way that God may show him his salvation. In other words, praise opens the way for God to intervene supernaturally on our behalf. God's salvation there means his deliverance, his help. When we're in desperate need and trouble, we don't have the answer to our own problems. Then if we praise God in faith, our praise opens the way for God to intervene. Yeah, As and the whole thing about is if you praise God when you're within your troubles and when, when things seem overwhelming and the walls feel like they're closing in, you're showing your faith by praising him. Because you're looking beyond your situation and you're actually saying, no, God, I'm going to praise you anyway. Because I believe you're bigger than this situation and this is nothing for you. And I'm going to go ahead and offer up, the Bible talk, talks about the sacrifice of praise to you. And so you're showing God that you have that, that faith. Very good example of this in the Old Testament in Second Chronicles chapter 20 a record of the reign of King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. At a certain point in his reign, 
King Jehoshaphat was informed that a very large alien invading army was on its way against him from the southeast. By alien, they mean foreigners. Army of Ammonites and Moabites and people from Mount Seir, all of them coming with the intention of invading and destroying the kingdom of Judah. King Jehoshaphat realized that he didn't have the military means in the natural to withstand this invading army. And so he turned to God. He turned to a supernatural realm. He did various things. He proclaimed a fast. He called God's people together for prayer. Then he led the people in prayer. And after he had prayed, a supernatural utterance was given through one of the Levites, an utterance in prophecy in which God revealed that he'd heard the prayer and that he was going to intervene on behalf of his people, Judah, and that they would not need to fight. So when so mass corporate prayer and repentance, I mean, could you imagine if like they did that in America or the even even if like, let's just leave America out. Let's just say all of the 501c3 churches, you know, did that in mass. I mean, and granted, I understand there's a lot of stuff they need to repent of and look at and things of this nature. But just let's say they they went to God as a little child and they they admitted that they you know, that would absolutely move mountains. Unfortunately, I don't really see any Bible for that happening in the end times that we're living in. I, I do see, though, the remnant, that happening with the remnant. People heard this beautiful prophecy. It says they bowed their heads and worshipped. Now let's see what Jehoshaphat did next. I'm going to read verses 21 through 26. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever as they began to sing and praise I mean also the walls of Jericho falling down after they were you know going around them with the trumpets and all that I mean that's what caused those walls I mean granted God's what caused the walls to fall but it was their obedience through that praising process uh, prior to actually going into battle or, or God even fighting the battle for you that got it all done. So praise a lot of times is very, very much in scripture, particularly the Old Testament, commingled uh, with victory in battle. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Notice that very significant phrase, as the men of Judah began to sing and praise, the Lord intervened against their enemies. This is what happened. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Mount Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So when the Bible talks about, Lord, have them in derision, have them let, let their own tongues to fall upon themselves, these are script, things that are talked about in Scripture. God can create that spirit of confusion that can go through the enemy camp, and they actually turn on one another and devour one another so that the actual army of God doesn't even have to fight the battle. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder and they found among them a great quantity of equipment and clothing and also articles of value. 
more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, Baraka is the Hebrew word for blessing, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the valley of Baraka, or blessing, to this day. See how God intervened. Jehoshaphat and his people didn't have the military means. They didn't have the natural power. But when they received the message of encouragement through prophecy, and then set aside men simply to sing and to praise the Lord, when the Lord heard their praises, he himself intervened against their enemies, put division and enmity amongst the enemies, so that they actually destroyed themselves. And true to the prophecy, the men of Judah didn't even have to fight. When they arrived where the battle was to have taken place, their enemies were already dead bodies lying on the ground. All they had to do was to gather the spoil. And there was so much spoil that it took three days to gather it. That's a beautiful picture of how when we do not have the answer to a situation, when we're confronted by a crisis, something too big for us to handle, one of the wisest things we can do is simply to turn away from the crisis and the situation to the Lord and in faith begin to praise Him. Because when we praise the Lord, it opens the way for His miraculous intervention on our behalf. If we honor the Lord in our praise, the Lord takes care of our problem. Jehoshaphat and his people didn't have the military means. They didn't have the natural power. But when they received the message of encouragement through prophecy and then set aside men simply to sing and to praise the Lord, when the Lord heard their praises, he himself intervened against their enemies, put division and enmity amongst the enemies so that they actually destroyed themselves. And true to the prophecy, the men of Judah didn't even have to fight. When they arrived where the battle was to have taken place, their enemies were already dead bodies lying on the ground. All they had to do was to gather the spoil. And there was so much spoil that it took three days to gather it. That's a beautiful picture of how when we do not have the answer to a situation, when we're confronted by a crisis, something too big for us to handle, one of the wisest things we can do is simply to turn away from the crisis and the situation to the Lord. And in faith, begin to praise Him, because when we praise the Lord, it opens the way for His miraculous intervention on our behalf. If we honor the Lord in our praise, the Lord takes care of our problem. I've been saying that praise offered in faith, when we're faced with a critical situation, opens the way for God to intervene supernaturally on our behalf. I gave you an example from the Old Testament, from the story of Jehoshaphat, King of Judah, now I want to give you another example from the New Testament. Okay, so before he gets into that, here's another one. Second Chronicles 20, 15, and 17. Uh, I have this in my, I mean, although it's, it's in my Bible, obviously, but I have this actually written down from a long time ago. It's one of like, kind of like my bookmarkers. Uh, it says, Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, meaning a great multitude that you're going to face in battle, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Ye shall, and then the, skipping to verse 17, Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. Now that's not always the way it works out. But in this particular case, they didn't even need to fight. Or as far as all they needed to do is set themselves and stand. And to see the salvation of the Lord. 
So in that particular case, God gets maximum, maximum glory because he's totally the one intervening and there's no other earthly explanation for it. The story of Paul and Silas in the city of Philippi. You probably remember that Paul and Silas had arrived there for the first time to preach the gospel in a city of Europe and things had been going quite well and then Paul got involved with this girl with the spirit of fortune telling and he cast the evil spirit of fortune telling out of the girl and the whole city just broke into an uproar and for no real adequate reason Paul and Silas were treated as criminals the magistrates had them severely flogged and then put them in prison. Now, here's how the story goes on from there. Acts chapter 16, verses 23 through 30. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. You need to understand that the jailer always had to answer with his own life for the safety of his prisoners. If the prisoners escaped he was put to death. So he would rather Put himself to death and wait to be executed by the Roman authorities. However, Paul had pity on that jailer. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Men, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that a beautiful picture of God's supernatural intervention on behalf of servants of his who'd learned the secret of praise? There Paul and Silas were, their backs bleeding, in the maximum security jail, their feet in the stocks, apparently a hopeless situation. But they had the faith and the courage just to praise God. Nothing in their natural situation had changed, but it says they praised and sang hymns to God. It says the other prisoners were listening to them. That always appeals to me, that statement. I'm sure that those prisoners had never heard anything like that before in that prison. They just didn't know what kind of persons they had there in that maximum security jail. In fact, I believe it would be surprising enough in any prison today if the prisoners in the maximum security jail were heard singing hymns and praising God. Now, this is, we, I just played the clips not too long ago of Hong Kong, where, now, again, I don't know if they're doing this, though, now. I don't know if, they, if, they're, if their protesters have been so infiltrated, but at the beginning, what they were doing is they were singing these really pretty, um, just praising the Lord, praising Jesus type of hymns over and over. And every time they did that in mass, just like all the, the, the wicked, evil Hong Kong slash Chinese people that were there, that were there to quell the riots, just kind of like chilled out. They're just kind of like, oh, okay. They just chilled out. They just, they stopped doing, but I don't know if that's going on right now. I don't know whether those um, the masses of protesters have been infiltrated because I do believe the Chinese are implanting troops in there and trying to, um, you know, get the, you know, like their agitators sent in, just like Antifa and these types, to get in there and to corrupt that, to, to throw that leaven into those protesters. 
but I do know originally that had a gigantic effect when they were doing it. You might say, well, what a foolish thing to do. But the Bible says the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Out of that foolishness came a mighty intervention of God. There was an earthquake. God sent the earthquake. All the doors were opened, all the prisoners' bonds were loosed, and the jailer came to the point of conviction where he wanted to know how he too could have this kind of experience. That's a beautiful picture, but remember one thing, praise is a sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 5, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the right. fruit of lips that confess his name. In other words, praise is an act of obedience arising from the will, not from feelings or circumstances. Right. I'm sure that Paul and Silas didn't feel like praising Lord, right. but they offered the sacrifice of praise. Okay, and that's pretty much the, the video. But yeah, that's that's a really great point he emphasized there. Then even even if you're in a situation where you don't feel like praising God and you don't think he can, that might be the time he's most receptive because he knows that you don't feel like doing it and that maybe your faith is feeling like it's at a lower level at that moment. And But you just, so don't go by feelings because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and you know that's where feelings emanate from the heart so if the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it don't let your heart rule over you uh particularly in dark times because that's that's typically not going to serve you well the bible says he who trusteth in his own heart is a fool proverbs twenty eight twenty six. you know there is a way which seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death so you, you don't want to go by I'm not saying your heart's always going to deceive you as, as a born-again Christian, but um, you got to be careful with that. So let's go further here. Uh, just some verses I read this morning, Psalm 20 out of the KJV. Just some encouraging verses here. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of God, the name of the God of Jacob, defend thee. Uh, skipping to verse 5. We will rejoice in thy salvation, and in the name of our God will we set up our banners. The Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Now know that I, the Lord, saveth his anointed. He will hear from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. And, and today you could say, well, some trust in their, you know, bug out bunkers and in, in, in their food stores and in their bullets and in their guns and in and i'm not saying any of those things are, are bad at all i i think the prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself but the simple pass on the punished uh, regarding but i also think you know led of the lord to do those types of things but those are not things you still want to trust in uh, because you want to trust in god you want to trust in the lord and the lord alone okay some trust in chariots or some in horses. And those are a representation of things they're trusting in in order to deliver them. Uh, the Bible talks about the rich. The rich man looketh to his riches as his strong and high tower. That's his, that's his protection, his riches, you know. But that's an abomination to God, okay. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So, and then it says, they are brought down and fallen, but they are risen and stand upright. But we are risen and stand upright. So, our enemies are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord, let the king hear us when we call. 
And I think praise is one of the most direct ways you can get God's attention, particularly in dark times. I'm going to add that praise is a way of deliverance to the, um, the word document I have on all of the different aspects of spiritual warfare that I've talked about. It's called dealing with devils. And, um, <clears throat> I'm going to add this to that cause that's a whole other thing to add in there. Okay. So next report from coach Dave, um, of past the salt ministries, the battle Christians are in it says we need to fight. We need to be good at fighting for right. Okay. Meaning we fight for right. We fight for justice. We fight for truth. Okay. We fight for Jesus. It says we're on Jesus's team. We need to all, we need to be all in. When the team is doing good, everybody wants to be on the team. But when the game gets tough, 80% want to run and hide. Now, he's observed this, and you'll hear him talk about this. He's observed this literally within high school football that he coached. Uh, 80% want, want to run and hide. Where is the remnant? Those who will stand. The average Christian says we will win in the end as if they don't have to fight and win. Uh, don't we know it's our duty to push back against the darkness? Sometimes the darkness comes from government officials who are supposed to be upholding justice under the law, which is kind of one of the emphasis, one of his main points he em emphasizes in his ministry. Uh, today's show, which I'm only going to play a small portion of it, draws attention to this, to this in a recent court case involving two Christians who were assaulted on the street. I uh, believe these these Christians were at the recent Boy Scout jamboree where they're, I mean, the Boy Scouts are now the Bale Scouts, you know, the God small g of Bale. And that's how the one guy referred to them in court because he got arrested and he had to stand before the judge. Um, they're doing about every wicked thing you can imagine in the Boy Scouts and in the Girl Scouts now. I mean, it's it's horrible. And they were there to you know kind of protested they were assaulted on the street the case was dismissed unjustly without consideration of the evidence proving unlawful violence against them instead the innocent plaintiffs were discriminated against by the commissioner's office while a violent man was allowed to walk free is this equal justice will you stand up and fight injustice get involved sign up today for our mailing list so i give you a link to that it's it's coachdavelive.com and then you can get to the mailing list from there, coachdavelive1word.com. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and play, you don't know, about eight minutes of this. Sent me this this morning, and Jerry, uh, Connor's getting it up there and ready for it. Chad just created this video, and I thought it was, it kind of kind of falls in line. It's only two minutes, so it, only fa it kind of falls in line with what I want to talk about here today. So let's go ahead and uh, play that thing. Uh, Chad has to put this together. Ancient Greek philosopher who had an interesting observation when it came to men on the battlefield. That realization he wrote down here. So let's discuss it. So this is an ancient Greek philosopher, and this was his observances of men on the battlefield. One out of every 100 men Ten shouldn't even be there. Eighty are just targets. Nine are the real fighters, and we are lucky to have them, for they make the battle. Ah, Amen. but the one, one is a warrior, 
and he will bring the others back. Profound. So now I've rewritten it based on what we're seeing in the church. One of every 100 men in the church, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just going through the motions. Nine are true believers, and we are blessed to have them, for they make the remnant. Ah, but the one, one is a warrior, and he wields the power of God. Do we have the moral courage to stand firm for our beliefs, even if by doing so, we must stand alone? With whom do we stand? Who do we fear most? Man's judgment or God's? Profound. That's a good one, Chad. That's a good one. We were talking about that yesterday. Amen. The fear of God. The fear of God. And, and you, know why we're, you know why we're gathered here in this huddle today? Because some of you guys are those one in, one in ten. Or one in a hundred, actually. One in a hundred. And, uh, you know, the closer you get to the battle, I, I, always, I used to use this illustration when I was, when I was at London High School back in 1994, I think it was. We were really, we were really good. When, I went to, when we went to London in 1989, my first year at London, we had 38 guys on the team. And I realized that there were more football players walking the halls than there were on the, on the field. There were guys went out on the field. They weren't playing. So I began to work the halls, recruit players. And in 1989, we had 38 players, I think it was. And in uh, 2000, and, I'm sorry, 1994, five years later, we were pushing 100. I was afraid that we, I was, I was afraid I was going to run out of numbers. I thought I was going to have to put 1A or 101 on the uniform or 102 because I had every, once we got good, everybody wanted to be on the team. But I also remember that uh, when we would go out and we would fight one of our bitter rivals, we had 190. 96 guys lined, lined up and stretching out on the field. It was what an army we were. We won because we just intimidated the other team because we had so many guys. That was part of it. But when we got into a game where somebody could actually beat us, we knew it was going to be a tough game. I knew this. And they were all lined up and they were doing their stretching before the game. I'd walk up and down. I always walked up and down the aisle and gave, gave a high five, slapped every kid on the helmet, gave him a high five, says, come on, man, we got a job to do, yada, yada, whatever it was I would say. But when we got into one of those battles where I knew, because uh, the other team was good as well. I was looking for 18. Chad, that's close to your number. I was looking for the 18 I knew I could really count on. I knew that uh, there were there were at least there were at least 80, at least 80. They were just wearing the uniform. They had no, they had no, they had no intention of ever getting in the game, didn't want to be in the game unless we got way ahead. Then they wanted to get in the game. But otherwise, when the battle was on the line, the game was on the line, and blood and snot was coming out of people's noses, 80 of those guys didn't want any part of the game. I was looking for the 18 guys I knew we could count on. It's the exact same thing Chad just talked about. The Gideon's Army. Gideon's Army. Not everybody gets it, see. Not everybody's part. Go ahead, Mark. I hear you. Yeah, the... That, that was a good analogy, but you got a mic drop in the middle of all that, several actually. If the te if, when the team was doing good, everyone wanted to join it. 
are we good at pushing back on Satan? Are the, is the Christian community good at fighting? No. So no one wants to join the team, right, Coach? I mean, if we're, that's why I think people are drawn to what you're doing is because you've got successes. You're good mm-hmm. at what you do. And we need to be good and bring others in through doing. And then having a good team, we're on a good team. We're on Jesus's team. That's right, brother. And we have to represent him as such, right? And as I said, or didn't say, but have often said, you judge a coach by his team. You don't judge the team by the coach. You judge the coach by his team, how the team performs. And you look at the average church, the average, or you look at Christianity in general. Uh, how are we doing? How's our team performing? We are losing every cultural battle. You name Amen. one battle we want. See, that's like saying, well, my dad's be- bigger than your dad, or my dad can beat up your." What the Christian response is, well, we win in the end. We know who wins in the end. Well, that, didn't, that doesn't give much courage to the guy who's currently out on the battle fighting right now. When I go out and I fight a battle, I want to win right now. I, I don't see when, I, I, when again, let me, let me go back to one of my coaching analogies. I remember my first year when I went to London, they weren't very good. And we were trying to build a good, successful football program. And, and uh, I'll never forget, one of the seniors came up to me. We were about week five. We weren't very good. We ended up, we were two and eight or three and seven that first year. We weren't very good. And I'll never forget, one of the seniors came up to me. We were about game six or game seven. And he said, Coach, he said, uh, listen, he said, I'm not trying to make you mad, but it sure seems to me like you're putting a lot of attention into the, into the younger players. He said, I understand that you're trying to, trying to build a program and trying to help us all get better. I understand that. He says, Coach, this is, this is my senior year. This is, the only, this is the only year I have. And it cut me to the quick. Because here was this guy. This was his chance. This was his only chance. Says, Coach, you're, you're building for the future, and it's good that you're building for the future, but my future is right now. I only, got, I only got a few more games left, Coach. Come on, help me now. Help us win now, Coach. I couldn't say to him, well, Gary, listen, uh, you'll be really proud of the Red Raiders here in 10 years. In 10 years, we'll win in the end. You'll be really happy. No, Gary wanted to win now. And, and that's the mentality, see. That's the mentality of the church. We won't say it, but it's cowardly fallback position. My dad will beat up your dad in the end. That's the cowardly fallback position. And we are all here right now for such a time as this, with a very short period of time, to be able to make an impact with our lives. And most of us are too damn cowardly to do anything about it. Exactly. So we have that. Um, It's kind of a a similar analogy. When my dad played high school football back in uh, Columbiana, Ohio, um, he was so feared. Now, I'm not just hearing this from my dad. I've heard this from other people that I know like during his junior and senior years, they had a pretty low turnout for the football team. And because he played every play, even in practice, 100%. And he was mean too. He was a savage, my dad. Um, He was so feared that there were swaths of people that guys that would not even go out for the football team. And, um, they were very, very good though. The ones that did show up, it reminds me of, they were willing to gut it out through that kind of adversity that they're talking. Now I understand we're not talking about Christianity 
these weren't Christians fighting for God. I'm just saying it goes along with what that Greek philosopher saw on the battlefield. And a lot of people didn't even show up when my dad was, and that was on his own team. So you can imagine how, you know, he played against the op opposing teams. Uh, when he graduated, I believe the turnout, and they had gotten the teams very good, okay? Because remember, everybody wants to be on a winner. When he graduated, it was like double to triple the turnout of guys, because we're not talking about a large high school here. It was Columbiana, Ohio. And it was double to triple, though, the amount of turnout when, when he left, because people were like, oh, okay, well, Bob Johnson's not there. He's, he's not going to clean our clock, and... <laughs> We're not going to have to worry about him. <laughs> and uh, he had, I don't know how many division one, um, which is the largest school scholarships, but he told me there was a twofold reason he didn't go pursue it. Um, one, because he felt as though in some of the schools he didn't have the grades to get in, but the main one was he knew he played so hard every single down including in practice that his body was not physically going to be able to hold up that he was going to have some type of catastrophic injury at the higher levels that would just annihilate him because he played so hard and um but i don't know just just kind of an another analogy there the, the whole high school football thing that that i have a little bit of i couldn't I would have probably played high school football, but I couldn't. I blew my knee out the, the summer prior to me going into, which I think it was a big, for me, it was a big humbling thing. I was at my peak physically. I, I was like big into like the BMX bike thing. I mean, I would jump ramps that were just gigantic. And I mean, just really risky stuff I was doing. And just... I didn't understand that God only gives you one body and you've got, you know, when, when you're young, you tend to be really reckless. I was really into speed skating. Uh, I had gotten to a point in speed skating where nobody at like the local place could touch me. And I, I was running around my block with things called heavy hands, which are like weights in your hands. And I was just, I was just in the best shape I've ever been in in my life ever. And that summer before I went into high school, I was working with my dad and, and I did, we were working on this satellite dish and uh there was this big levee there for this river um that because they lived on this this back river and uh, the levee was to prevent the water from rising and i jumped off it at the end of the day just being stupid and one leg went backward and one leg went forward my left leg went backward and i totally tore my anterior cruciate my cartilage uh, i think medial collateral i stretched it and from that point forward i couldn't play any sports at all and I think maybe it was just part of God's plan to humble me and, you know, maybe he knew if, if I was able to play sports um, because I think I had the potential to go pretty far in some of the sports. And I think he knew that maybe it wasn't the right path for me. I was going to get a big head. I was going to get full of pride. And I never got that opportunity. Um, so, because I kind of felt as though there was pressure on me to do that because I looked at what my dad had done. I mean, you know, he's a legend when you go back to Ohio and his, the, the local area. I mean, I mean, he got in 
I mean, he's a legend in a lot of different ways. His, he told, my dad told me, he says, when he was growing up, if he didn't get in at least one fist fight per week, it was a bad week. He was a savage. I mean, as far as I know, he never lost a fight. I'm not saying he couldn't be beat, but I'm just saying in that local locality, in that particular area, in that time era, you know, that was, that was my dad. That was what I grew up with. And he had a psychopathic temper. And, um, I mean, to the point where if you haven't ever seen anybody that's a real psychopath go crazy, it's something that you will never forget. And I saw it on a frequent basis. I, I mean, I, I, you know, sometimes multiple times per week, he'd get in fist fights just in traffic and stuff. Most, the vast majority of the time he went so insane and ballistic and the look in his eye, he had... I don't even un comprehend them, the demons the guy had in him, but most people would just, and I'm talking guys even sometimes a lot bigger. My dad was a big guy. He's about six foot two forty, but they would back down to him most of the time. You know, that was, that was my upbringing. And so, you know, Hey, we all got different stuff we're dealing with. <laughs> you know, nobody's ever had, as far as, to my knowledge, the, the perfect idyllic upbringing where everything just went perfect and everything just went right. And, you know, my dad would, would, would beat me and smother me to the point where I would go number one and two in my pants. And I, he almost killed me on several occasions. Um, and I'm talking over the most infinitesimal. One time I bought the wrong M&Ms and he did that to me. You ever been smothered to the point of where you're just about dead you 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 pat right you know it's it's something that will definitely change you when you got a 240 pound guy on top of you and he's got a pillow over your head and you're not going anywhere and you're dying and you it's it's something else let me tell you it's something else but hey listen i look at that but then i look at what what about what about all these children that are being sexually abused from like birth and then sold into sex slavery and then sacrificed. How, how is that compared to that? You know? So it's just sin. Sin, sin is entered into the world and it permeates the world. And, and, and it's the sin world that we kind of live in that we got to deal with. And, and we're dealt different cards. Everybody's dealt different cards with their upbringings, with how they grew up, with what they're dealing with. You know, but in the end, it's what you do with Jesus Christ, you know, and the word of God. The next report is entitled hirelings in the pulpits of American churches are teaching the sheep to submit to wolves and government who are seeking to devour. How is the church in America at peace with corruption that is at war with God? Uh, a quote here from Frederick Douglass, former slave abolitionist he said i prayed for 20 years but received no answer until i prayed with my legs meaning until he took action he was praying about something but until he took action and i understand a lot of the slaves it wouldn't have mattered if they took action they would have got a bullet in the head but and i'm not exactly sure exactly what struggle he's in reference to here if he's in reference to abolition or whether escaping or i'm not sure but the point is, is that he prayed for 20 years about something, but he didn't receive the answer until, until he actually took action, meaning he prayed with his legs. So he was praying, but he was also acting. 
And a lot of times that's how it rolls with God. You can pray about something all day long, but until you actually face up to the situation, until you bow up to that situation and face it head on, you're not going to see God's hand move. Not all the time. Like I said, sometimes the, stand ye still, see the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes that's the case. But see, that's the thing. There's different scenarios in the way God can work, and we can't put God in a box. So just recently, while speaking at an event, I heard a preacher ask the question to congregants, why in the state that America is in today, it is that ministries such as Franklin Graham, James Dobson, Pat Robertson, etc., have not taken to the streets, well, in their congregants, taken to the streets in protests concerning corruption within the government. Um, see Matthew 16, 17 through 9. Many of these national ministries are put, it, are put in place to keep Christians dumbed down and gelded. And I kind of added those in. See 1 Kings 13.33. Okay, then it goes on to say, The fruit proves the seed, according to Matthew 7.16. Um, a wicked tree can't bringeth forth righteous fruit, but it brings forth wicked fruit. That, that's what he means by... The fruit proves the seed. Whatever fruit that seed produced is, you know, evidence of it. So, in fact, they are driving support to create opposition, teaching men to submit to corrupt government rather than the, God's moral law. Scripturally, they have it backwards and upside down. Now, go if you can go to the um, keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. Just get Romans 13. I've done a whole study on submitting to the government. Where does a Bible-believing Christian where are we supposed to draw the line? And Romans 13 is in reference to a righteous government being a force of righteousness, but it does not apply to a wicked government that is doing wicked things. So that's what we have to, um, you know, ferret out all of that to, to, to rightly divide the word of truth. So this, um, here's a brief video. Why does Billy Graham have a Hollywood star? <laughs> Only one thing can explain. So Billy Graham's got his own Hollywood star. 33rd degree Freemason, Billy Graham, that was totally yoked up with the Catholic Church that pointed a lot of people, well, he would point people in his crusades to go back to the Catholic Church. You know, works-based black death cult that's leading millions and billions to hell. He would point them back to that. I'm not saying Billy Graham never said anything good. Or there wasn't things you couldn't glean from him. But I've done a whole study on him, um, on direct quotes from him and things that he did, just Keen Billy Graham, uh, that were just, you know, blood-curdling, essentially, when, when, you, when you see what he was actually involved with. So let's go ahead and listen to this video here. Hollywood's fallen stars, Billy Graham, folks, be not deceived with the first appearance of things, for show is not substance. The Bible says that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And if, if you're so highly esteemed among men that you have your own Hollywood star, that is a big problem. Really, really big problem there. And then I've done things on Franklin, Franklin Graham, a ton of that lately, just Keen Franklin, you know, his recent trip to Voodoo Donuts and his proudly displaying those perverted, uh, the, the perverted, evil, wicked uh, donuts he bought there. And, and um, that, that's 
one of the most wicked places you can go in all of, I believe it's in Seattle or Portland. I don't know, Portland or Seattle, wherever. And he is literally tied in with child sex trafficking and all of this stuff. And he's got the audacity to go there and to like post on social media these donuts he bought there. And then, but there's reasons for it because Billy and Franklin have been tied in with a lot of the sex trafficking. And, um, we got into that in detail in the studies that I did on this. So this doesn't really surprise me. Somehow, and I know not how, in Hollywood, they put up these fallen, demoralized, and debased reprobates as some sort of standard bearers of moral guidance. They take it so far as to honor the fallen with a star on the sidewalk suggesting that there is some sort of honor instead of shame obtained when their names are written upon one of them. It tells us in Luke 10, 18, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. I'm sorry about the music in the background. I can't control it, but it's only about a four minute video. The stars in Hollywood located on the sidewalks represent a fallen star. Fallen stars are in the Bible represent Satan as those angels who sided with him in rebellion against the God of Israel. Keep in mind, during the turn of the century, Hollywood was originally the location where land was given away freely to congregations that were willing to erect their churches. Also, up until 1968, it was the church's obligation to vet all movies before being released to the populace in America. Wow, I mean, look how far it's fallen. But again, Hollywood, uh, one of the things with Hollywood is that the preferred wood for a witch's wand is from the holly tree and this is a big reason holly how hollywood got its name it's it's casting a spell over the whole nation and the preferred wood is hollywood okay for a witch's wand it has evidently the most magical power as far as the church fallen from their duties before god friends hollywood is the place where the occult is magnified and honored where witches and warlocks are I mean, he's shown Dude, some he's... Katy, Katy Perry video, some Madonna thing that they did. I mean, it looks like, I mean, it is so black witchcraft. I can't even describe it. Sensitization normalized in where the fallen angels congregate and the ideologies and manifestations of demons are given life and brought into the mainstream and yet somehow Hollywood and its fallen stars have become some standard for people to go and to emulate? One star in particular that I couldn't help but notice was that of Billy Graham. Yes, I said Billy Graham, the ecumenical preacher, the oneness evangelical. The evangelical pope, as they called him when living. It showed him sitting there with the, with the devil pope. And I mean, he is a 33rd degree Freemason. He was It was on the Louisiana Freem- famous Freemasons website for a long time. And then pe- some of the Christians got wind of it and they took it down. But I I got the thing mirrored. It's I believe it's in my um, my attachment on him. This is well known. He's a 33rd degree Freemason. The Bible says you can't bow the knee to God and the knee to Baal. And that's what you got to do. Or supposedly you're doing in Freemason, you're, you're honoring God, but you know, you're also honoring the great architect of the universe, which is, you know, essentially Baal in, in um, the, the Freemasonic religion. Why would Billy Graham have a Hollywood star? Pedophiles, homosexuals, child murderers, 
cult leaders, and advocates of every form of evil are praising Billy Graham, and yet Jesus Christ was hated, as were his disciples, 11 of the 12, were martyred. How does this make biblical sense? Jesus Christ was rejected and crucified, but somehow Billy Graham is accepted and praised right. by the world? Right. The only explanation must be a totally different gospel being preached than that which was preached by Christ himself. There is no other reasonable explanation. The message was and is, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message was not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, like that of Billy Graham. All I am is a message. To give you a message that God loves you and is willing to... Remember, God does love us, okay, that's part of the gospel message, but when you leave the other out, that's what I believe he's more in reference to here, like the repentance part, the walking out your faith part, the burying the cross of Christ part, you know, that stuff. When that's all left out, then, you know, it turns into a gigantic problem. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Or what of Luke 6.26? Woe unto you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Quite telling, is it not? Right. Hollywood and its fallen stars have nothing to offer but that which God condemns in so many different ways. Look to the hell that they themselves have helped to create. It is a spirit of antichrist at work to deceive the people into the ways of deception and at length death and hell. The Bible clearly tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So tell me, why then would Hollywood and the world be loving on Billy Graham so much as to honor him with a Hollywood star? It's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> incomprehensible if you really start to think about that. Um, the Bible says in Isaiah 31 through 5, Woe to the rebel rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk down, that that walk to go down into Egypt. And Egypt is, is always a type of like the world, you know, Babylon, the world. So they're, the rebellious children are walking to go down into Egypt. Now that's kind of the normal now if you call yourself a Christian in your typical lukewarm 501c3 church. You've went into Egypt typically. That's where you live. You've 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 sought to go down there. And then he says, and have not asked at my mouth, meaning they didn't ask God if they should go to Egypt. You know, they just did it. To strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh. So they're looking to the strength of the of the modern day world system and Pharaoh, which is kind of a type of, you know, Satan kind of you know they're seeking to strengthen themselves in the strength of pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of egypt which is the world or like babylon therefore shall the strength of pharaoh be your shame 
and the trust in the shadow of Egypt, your confusion. So all of those Christians trusting in this present day system, and I believe in Donald Trump, and all the things that, that all of these straw men that have been erected in order for you to put your trust and faith in them in this modern day world, most likely what is going to happen is the strength of Pharaoh, and I'm not talking to my listeners so much, I mean like the body of Christ that would call themselves Christians in the 501c3 church, particularly in America, um, therefore the, shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. So see, we're going to, God said he's going to send strong delusion in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, okay? We know that. that. That's, I believe, in effect and coming more and more. We're in that strong delusion. And they're going to trust in that delusion because why? Well, the same verse defines they have no love for the truth. They've rejected truth. They have no love for the truth. And the truth typically hurts. The truth is typically not something you want to hear. The truth is typically not something that's going to make you feel warm and fuzzy. And because they have no love for the truth, they're going to fall into this strong delusion. And ultimately, you know, end up in hellfire. The reason contendingfortruth.com exists is to try to prevent that from happening. The, one of the primary reasons, you know. Trying to contend for the truth to keep you out of the strong delusion so you don't believe the lie. Lest you be ignorant of Satan's devices, then he get an advantage of you. Where the Bible talks about that. To not be destroyed for lack of knowledge. Um, most people, though, that identify as Christians really don't want the truth. From what I'm seeing. It's like that analogy where it said 80% of, of the, the people that he observed to win it, but shouldn't even have been there. They're just targets. That's most of the church that would call themselves church are just targets. They're like target practice for the enemy. And they're, they're really not doing anything for God. And again, I'm not saying that because I think I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just talking about statistics here. Okay. And you look and God always preserves a remnant, but particularly there's only a remnant left. Particularly in times like this where it's very, very dark and, and most everybody is deceived, including those that would identify as Christians. And um, they're under the strong delusion. And, it, and again, that's talked about right before the Antichrist makes his big debut. And in conjunction with the falling away of the church, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So it says, Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. They're going to be confused. Can you imagine when, when the whole alien deception kicks in, the whole alien deception? Most of the people in the 501c3 church, the, the pastors, are not going to have any, any answer for that whatsoever. I think that's one of the main backbones of the coming strong delusion. I think the whole ancient astronaut theory where the ascended masters come back. And this is going to be in conjunction with the Antichrist, the false prophet, making their big debut. And they're going to make a big grand entrance. They're going to have Project Blue Beam and the gigantic holograms in the skies of whatever they perceive they're, they're awaiting gods to be. Krishna and, and you know, Imam Mahdi to the, to the Muslims and Jesus Christ to the, to the Christians. Oh, no, that long-haired Sananda, Emmanuel, Esau, Jesus, that called Master Jesus, one of the Ascended Masters. No, that's just going to be part of the deception. 
That's not how Jesus looks. I've done many studies on this. And um, the deception is going to be so vast and so overwhelming and most likely in conjunction with gigantic, potentially alien ships, whether they're holograms or whether they're real, in conjunction with the ascended masters making their, in conjunction with the aliens making their, big, in conjunction with them telling us we got our history all wrong and we got our religions all wrong and we've messed everything up and we're their little science project that they created millions of years ago and we've messed everything up so bad they got to come back and straighten out their creation. Just bow down and worship us and do whatever we say and we'll bring peace on this earth. He's going to come as a man of peace, the Antichrist, but it's going to be a false peace. And they're going to deceive the whole world through signs and lying wonders and miracles, where that whereby they're going to deceive the whole world. And if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. They're going to have a lot of people working with them, like false prophets and things of this nature. And we haven't even got to that point yet. I mean, people are so deluded already now. Can you imagine how deluded they're going to be when that all kicks in? Because they've never been prepared by their churches to face any of this stuff. And even a ministry like this guy that's putting out these videos. I, I watch some of his videos and I'm like, there's some, there's some major like red flags that he needs to be educated on. But... Most of them just scoff at the whole alien agenda, the whole ascended master agenda. But it's like, yeah, but that fits so perfectly into the Antichrist, the false prophet, making their big debut. And bringing the new world order out of the chaos of the destruction of the old world order. Bringing us from the age of Pisces into the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Like they talk about, like the New Agers talk about. I don't know, to me it just fits perfectly like lock and key. And it's been one of the central themes of this ministry for years so i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm totally wrong but it just seems like it just keeps falling into place so it says therefore shall the strength of pharaoh be your shame and the trust in the shadow of egypt your confusion for his princes were zoan and his ambassadors came to haines they were all ashamed of the people that could not profit them nor be in help nor profit but a shame and also a reproach isaiah 30 1 through 5 Going back to this report, it says, the first thing I would have you take notice of is that America's favorite preachers are not the standard of Christianity. Jesus Christ is actually the standard. Acts 4.12 says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. Uh, if, the, if the coaches in the NFL have lost as many games as preachers in America have metaphorically lost, meaning the prayer abortion marriage etc they would have been thrown off their teams a long time ago but no they're they're held up as wonderful men like billy graham because they've compromised because they've yoked up with the world because they've yoked up with catholicism and the pope and that one all of that's going to end up in the one world religion under antichrist and the pope setting the stage for that stuff so here's another video he made america's new god is sports America, just think with me for a moment if you would. Picture this with me. Just think about 40,000 people getting together to protest crimes against we the people and the laws of our constitutional republic at the state capitol. Do you realize that we could stop the crimes against we the people in one week? That is, when the people say that enough is enough. 
How is it that the American people have evolved into finding within themselves that it is normal to strip themselves of their clothes, paint themselves half purple and half yellow, put horns on their head, and then present themselves as absolute fools for the world to see, while screaming to the point of losing their voice along with any dignity that they may have had left? He's and talking about the the really moronic fans that like the NFL and the college games that just dress up in all of this garb and just, you know, shun any form of dignity at all and act like lunatics in order to root on their team. All of this, friends, over a bunch of full-grown men in tights fighting over a pig ball. Or what of a little golf ball? Or what of a baseball? A soccer ball? A little plastic puck? Or what of a volleyball? Or what of this one, friends? Cars driving in a big circle over 500 times. He's showing clips from different games. One's hockey, one's basketball, and how insane the announcers get. Inside the freshman up. He's showing hockey, and to, to me, hockey's like the quintessential essence because I, I just I can't understand how they let them get in fist fights on the ice and say that's all right and that's okay. And there's like little children watching, growing up, thinking that's fine to do. It's fine to smack. I watched a documentary not too long ago about this guy. That I, they're called enforcers, evidently, in hockey. And he was this legendary enforcer from uh, a small town in Canada. And he didn't even, wasn't even that great of a hockey player. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, he was, he was raised, he was big, he was, he was big, and he was raised to be like this unbelievable enforcer. And that was what was expected from him. It was the only reason he was even on the team, on this pro hockey team. I mean, we're talking the highest echelons this guy got to. But he was on, you know, he was on all of these um, painkillers in the end and all these drugs. And he ended up just ODing while he was still playing. And, and his life was absolute, total misery. And, I mean, the injuries those guys have played, they all have brain damage. I mean, they get in fist fights every single night. And this is some kind of standard that's held up. I mean, I mean, at least in like some of the other, most of the other sports, they're not getting in fist fights and, and having the referees step back and sanction the fist fights. I, I mean, to me, it's just, and then when they're, they're little, when they're brought up in this in hockey, they do the same thing. They're, the kids are doing it. They're getting in these gigantic, and then the, the referees step back and let them fight. It's like, wow, really? I mean, I. I just, I can't wrap my head around hockey in particular. Did you know, America, that your sworn enemies are attacking you while you are entertaining yourselves out of your freedoms? Your enemies have stated that America's God is now their sports. 
and just think to yourself that you have been desensitized. Where are the biggest cathedrals in the land where people congregate to go and scream and yell and go crazy? Where are, well, they're the stadiums. They're the stadiums. Now, there's a lot of different gods that people worship. You can have people congregating in stadiums to watch a rock concert and um, or a rap concert or whatever in that regard. Or you can have football teams in there or um, whatever you can have. I'm not saying every single thing that you could have righteous things going on at stadiums as well. I'm saying not saying you couldn't have that. But for the most part, uh, their places kind of of where these fans go to worship their particular God, small g, in some particular ways. I'm not saying everybody is like that, but I think a lot of them are. I mean, I, I remember um, uh, back in Florida, um, uh, one of my best friends I grew up with, and they're they're not saved. I've 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 given them many many tracks they know where i stand but um my friend he's got a uh a wife named diane and she went to fsu uh florida state university and i am telling you that that is i mean it's a whole other level with some of these colleges i mean they go i guess like the night before they have like these powwows because they're the seminoles and they have these powwows and they get around and they have these drum circles and and they do all this stuff and and i literally there there's a lot of i mean honestly there's a lot of devils and demons involved here guys because i mean a lot of this is just getting our eyes off jesus christ you know uh, i'm not saying that that i think well if you watch a college or a pro football game or whatever now and then that's you're gonna go to i'm not saying that okay i'm not i'm not gonna do that i'm talking about people that it's like their life you know it's like this is my life this is my God, and this is what my life is kind of based off of. And she graduated from there, and um, I can remember, you know, calling calling my friend up, Brett, and uh, asking him, like, okay, FSU would have a bad game, and FSU's terrible now. Okay, they they went from being like the national champs, I don't know, three or four years ago, and now they're now they're not good at all and i can i don't even ask him about it anymore but i can remember calling him before and, and saying well what was diane's reaction and he said dude he said just one word violence she would like go totally insane and and just rip the house up and take all the fsu stuff they had and throw it out on the front yard reminded me a lot of my dad like stuff that he would do except he wouldn't really do that over sports he'd just do it over something he got angry over but i mean i it it like she got some major major demons going to that school or something maybe she had them before she went in but i mean the way a lot of these people take sports it's like it is like like they're god into believing that there's something wrong with them that are fighting for your freedoms just think about what i'm saying america has been so stupefied to believe that the preacher is too radical when preaching out against them that murder innocent babies in their womb that sounds pretty radical to me but not the sports commentators that act like hoodlums on a double shot of caffeine when the game is going in the direction that they would have it go. 
Friends, is it too radical to preach out against them that advocate crimes against nature, homosexuality? Or what of this, to preach out against crime and corruption within our government? This is the whole purpose of the church, friends. The church is called to be the moral compass of society. Yeah, I mean, the reality is I shouldn't have to have contendingfortruth.com. This religion, hopefully, I mean, if ideally in an ideal situation, this ministry doesn't exist. If the church is doing its job, okay, I'm talking around the world, this ministry doesn't really need to exist. I mean, I, I would probably exist within one of those churches and probably, but not to the extent where I feel like I have to try to exist now because, again, the church isn't, doing this to a, to a large extent there's a lot of things they're not doing but they should be there if a, a shepherd is there to warn his flock against the wolves right isn't that what you know but if the shepherd is a hireling that means he's doing it for the money he has no true love for the sheep but the true shepherd jesus christ will lay down his life for the sheep and when this goes all goes after all, it is the church's job to preach out against the darkness. And what does the light do? The light reproves the darkness. Right. This is the church's job. Yes. So, Protestant, I'm sorry, let me say that. There's not enough darkness in any particular locality to extinguish the light of one candle. If you think about it, darkness can't extinguish light. You know what I mean? So, light always exposes darkness, though. Protestants... The reason that America is where America is today, because the professed church is no longer proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to a repentant nation. I mean to say, why would America repent when it is the church that is entertaining themselves out of their liberties right. while they're being entertained through... They're having Super Bowl parties at the churches. And they're having jumbotrons in the churches now where they're showing the game... Here's, here's an advertisement for one. It's Sunday, February 7, 3, 3 p.m. at City Church. Game start time at 3.28. Bring your favorite party snack and comfortable, I don't even, camping chair. And, I, you know, I, it's just, it's crazy. Sports. I know many of you across the country in your churches are prepared. This is David Middlebrook, the church law group. And to have Super Bowl parties as well. Can you imagine what America would be like if it actually stood up and fought for the freedoms in which hundreds of thousands of men have fought, bled, and died to give unto us? Or to the 78% of Americans that claim to serve Christ, oh, don't forget 2 Corinthians 5.15, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So we're bought and paid for with a price, and... We're supposed to be crucified with Christ. Uh, nevertheless, I, you know, I live, but Christ liveth in me. You know, that's how we're supposed to actually conduct ourselves. And most of the time, though, we're we're living for ourselves. You know, hey, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying I don't slip into those patterns. I'm not I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm I'm perfect or whatever. You know, and this is why it's so important to daily be praying daily be reading the word of god um praising the lord putting on the full armor of god because it's very very easy in today's day and age to slip into these patterns okay it's and i, I i'd be the first one to admit it it is after all friends god has shed his grace upon us and of course not without sacrifice 
Yes, we need the old-time gospel preached in power without compromise. Why? George Whitfield rightly proclaimed that the Christian world is in a deep sleep. Nothing but a loud shout can awaken them out of it. How is the church to preach? Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, rightly proclaimed, Preach not calmly and quietly as though you were asleep, but preach with fire and pathos and passion. Or what if John Wesley, the great field prophet, back in England in the 1700s, that he sets himself on fire every morning so the world can watch him burn? So America, let me ask you, what will it be? A game in which you'll probably forget the score to the following week? And do consider the freedom in which you lose through illegal policies through the crimes committed against we the people that is only tolerated. So again, what will it be? God and establishing righteousness through his son Jesus Christ and fighting the good fight of faith? Or apathy and helping advocate evil through good men who do nothing because they didn't want to miss the next game? Right. It's up to you. And you look at all the emphasis that's put on these types of things just on sports alone and, and you look and you see how there's all these distractions in the world that can take our eyes and our our strength and, and our, our the time that we're spending on fighting evil i mean there's every distraction in the world now i guarantee you there's more distractions now than there ever was in noah's day so you know it's it's something that's a real fight to to fight through and and to not let yourself fall into that pattern. Now, the the Bible verse I had talked about before, um, Galatians two twenty, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Okay, faith, who loved me. And gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And there's a lot of people like in the Hebrew Roots movement. Now, remember, works will follow. Works follow faith. I can show you my faith by my works. True. But I'm not going to um, trust in those works in order to get me into heaven. My trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, don't put the cart before the horse. But it says... If righteousness cometh by the law, meaning I'm 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 a pretty good Catholic, or I'm a pretty good Hebrew rootser, or I'm I'm a pretty good whatever, whatever you whatever ism you believe, and I think you know, uh, God wouldn't send me to hell because I'm I'm way better than that guy, and I'm doing this and I'm doing that, and I'm I'm keeping the Sabbath and I'm doing this, and I've got all the the stuff going on around me. If if righteousness cometh by the law, then Christ is dead in vain, and all the teachings I did on the Hebrew roots movement what i really really emphasize on that and just key in hebrew roots if you want to know more i've done more uh, i did a ton of teachings on that previously um so going forward here and we're almost done with with this part and we're actually going to get into the news in california in the next part so i need to try to get through this here because i'm running out of time the hierarchies in the american church are the problem they have forfeited our possession to the other evil team through false doctrine and through their inactions over and over again. They are the reason that corrupt, corruption prevails within the walls of government. And why? Yeah, because the church is supposed to be salt and light. And if the church was actually doing its job and holding politicians accountable, hey, we've got enough numbers. How many people identify as Christians in America? We've got enough numbers to totally change America, but yet it's not happening. It's getting worse. Why? 
because the church has left the battlefield and the, and the preachers are the main reason. And where does that all start? Back at the cemeteries. They teach them all, okay, go ahead and get up yoked up with the government with your 501c3 status. Let the government create your ministry, which is what has to happen for you to be 501c3. And, you know, because they created you, they can control you. And I guarantee you there's a spiritual aspect to this that we're not seeing that we'll probably only know when we're in heaven on how much the church has been hindered because they yoked up with the government from the very beginning. They're preaching out of a lot of false Bibles that they're using. They're not, most of the time they're not using KJV. They're bringing all kind of worldly programs into the church. They got women uh, preachers, women head preachers, and this type, all the stuff that's out of order, out of bounds, that, that the scripture totally warns against. The Bible says everything in the church should be done decent, decently and in order. A lot of the times the church is a crazy freak show. A lot of times, particularly with charismania and stuff. You know, the Bible says lay hands suddenly on no man. That's done a ton in, in the charismatic circle. There's just a lot of stuff going on in the churches that, you know, are, are letting that leaven come in and just totally corrupt it. And I really believe the foundation for that is when they yoked up with the government. And the church, for the most part, has left the battlefield and is asleep as a result of all of these things. And this is why I came out of the modern day church. I tried over and over and every time I would just get burned. Every time. Until God kind of finally pulled me out and that's when this ministry started now i'm not saying there's no good churches left or don't go to any church you know you do as the lord leads you pray fast about it. it's the best advice i can give you but if they're if they're 501c3 they're you know <laughs> they're on a bad they're, they're on a train that's moving in a very very bad direction whether they know it or not so they're the reason corruption prevails within the walls of government and why because they don't preach out against the sins that they themselves are guilty of see luke 641 how could it be otherwise when corruption prevails within the walls of the church second peter 219 while they promise them liberty these are these certain uh these are the the that we really need to read the whole verse here and, and you've read you've heard me read this many many times so describing these types of preachers the uh that are well this describes them these hirelings okay these some of them are just flat out wolves in sheep's clothing some of them are just you know in it for the money and and this type of thing these are wells without water so you go to a well you want to get water because it's life sustaining well they don't they can't give you that clouds that are carried with a tempest a tempest is a very violent storm to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. If you're a preacher in one of these positions and you're leading people to hell, you're, you have a special place in hell reserved for you. And it's the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, you just heard me quote this first last, last study, they allure, they beckon you, essentially, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, and that's why these feel-good churches allure through the lusts of the flesh. Oh, it feels so good here. Yeah, yeah. You're not hardly getting any truth at all. And you're definitely not prepared for what's coming in the end times. But it feels so good being here. They allure through the lusts of the flesh. Through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, these preachers, they themselves are the servants of corruption. 
for of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought into bondage. Now, here's the deal. You go to one of these churches, and at first, and I've been there, done it, okay? I'm telling you from experience. You go to one of these churches, and at first you're like, oh, man, no, this is, no, 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 no. There, there, there's a lot of red flags. But if you stay in the church, if you ignore those red flags, if you know scripture, and you're like, ah, this is bad. I, I sense a lot of leaven here. There's, there's big red flags here, and I, I shouldn't be here. Well, guess what? Here's what happens. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he's brought into bondage. If you willingly go down there and you put your body in that church and come under the authority of that preacher who's out of the will of God, who is yoked up with the government, who is reaching from a reading from a false Bible version and got every other things going on that are bad, scripturally speaking, you're going to be brought into bondage. And these are bondages, these are chains you can't see. And they may slowly come upon you. And this is how a lot of people get stuck in these types of churches. You know, and sometimes maybe the church was good. And then all of a sudden they get a new pastor, something happens, or some leaven comes into the church. And then all of a sudden it starts to permeate. That's what the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It said, purge, purge that one out. You know, turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the soul may be saved in the day of the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 5, a man had taken his, I believe it was his stepmom, to be his wife. And he says, <laughs> it is reported commonly that there's fornication among you. He's talking to a church here. Now think about, this is common now, this type of stuff. I'm not saying this is always common, but there's... Probably a lot of other stuff going on in the average church that's just as bad as this that nothing's being said about. As long as those tithes keep coming into the pastor or to the church, a lot of times that'll buy you a lot of indulgences, if you know what I mean. Okay. Um, it is reported commonly that there's fornication among you and such fornication is not as so much named among the Gentiles, meaning even the Gentiles don't do this stuff, that one should have his father's wife. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that's his stepmom because it doesn't say his, his own mother, which would be a whole other level of, ugh, whoa. And it says, and you're puffed up. You're proud. You're proud of yourself. And have not mourned. You should be mourning, but you're actually proud of yourself. That you think you're so spiritually with it that you can have one of your congregants steal his dad's mom and still be in the church. You think... You think you're delivered to do these things. Where does it also talk about that? Jeremiah 7, 11, and 14. If you read those chapters, um, ultimately what it's talking about is when the church was, this was the, the Jews in this particular case, they were, they were so with it. They were baking cakes to the queen of heaven, okay, which is total idolatry, queen of heaven. They were sacrificing their sons and daughters unto Moloch, burning them alive, okay. And they thought they were right with God. They literally did. Read Jeremiah 7, 11, and 14. They did. And God said, I've never told you to do any of these things. And it ultimately says God to them. It says turn um, to not pray for them. I'm sorry. To, to not even pray for them because I won't hear your prayer. They've crossed the line. I won't hear your prayers anymore. Don't even bother. Don't even bother. They've been turned over a reprobate mind. Um, you know. They've crossed that line. 
Now, when that happens, I don't know. That's kind of God's economy. That's his business. And, and I'm not telling you to stop praying for people. It's just that there is a time where God will say. And I think it's when you think you're a Christian and you're sacrificing your sons and daughters or you're, or you're literally in open idolatry and you think you're still doing God's will. Your conscience is so seared with a hot iron. You've been so turned over to a reprobate mind. You're so demonically controlled and you've probably been given multiple, multiple instances to repent but yet you still don't do it well eventually your conscience gets seared with a hot iron and you're turned over to a, to a reprobate mind and you're, you're giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil speaking lies and hypocrisy like the bible talks about first timothy 4 1 it says and you're puffed up in this particular case and have not rather mourned and that have done this deed that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you Um, and it says in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when, when you're gathered together together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. He's telling you to deliver one of your own congregants to Satan, to purge him out of the church and deliver him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your glory in is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? So the churches have all this leaven in them and they're totally permeated with it. And it's just the new normal. It's just, it's just the new normal. They're glorying in their shame. But he says, what is the remedy? Purge out there for the old leaven. That leaven is always a type of sin. Jesus Christ said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is their doctrine. They had bad doctrine. They had extra biblical stuff they were trying to bring the children of Israel under bondage with, okay? But leaven can be, you know, leaven is a type of sin. This guy being in the congregation, taking his dad's wife to wed, was leavening the whole congregation. And a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out the old leaven, that ye may be made a new lump as ye are unleavened, for as even, uh, even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Let us um let me just i wasn't even planning on reading this and then it says i wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators people having sex outside of marriage in the church we're not supposed to company with them well how many people in the church are are fornicators they're having sex outside of marriage how, how many i mean i wonder what the percentage in america is now, I understand you could hide that and, and you could get one of those over on the church and they wouldn't know and, and, you know, but not to say God couldn't show the pastor. I think he would if the church was really right. But it says, he says, not to come to fornicators, but see, not altogether with the fornicators of this world, which is kind of normal, or with the covetous or with the extortioners or with idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. Meaning, if you tried to not company or have any interaction with fornicators or covetous people or extortioners or idolaters, which is just your average unsaved person, then you'd have to go to another planet. You can't do that. But more specifically, but now I've written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother or, or a sister in Christ be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat because if you eat with him you're being you might be you're you're it's almost like you're giving him the green light to keep doing what you're doing yeah you're fine dude just keep doing what you're doing i'm not going to judge you or whatever well 
I'm not saying you judge them like your hypocritical judgment and stuff. I'm not saying that because take heed lest you fall. I'm not saying like that, but you don't want to give him the green light and give him a good pat on the head and say, oh yeah, you're doing great, man. Just keep fornicating away and call yourself a Christian. You're not doing him any favors, in other words. And you're potentially, um, that's potentially going to affect you because a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. And all that sin might just start to jump on you which is what the Bible's talking about here, where you purge out the old leaven from the church. This is never done though. First Corinthians five, I can't ever remember a church I've ever been in where this has actually been, do been done or, or talked about really. For what have I to do to judge them that are without? Do ye not judge them that are within? W meaning we're supposed to judge those that are within the church. Not hypocritical, not sanctimonious, not when you have a beam in your own eye and you're judging the speck in your brothers, but you judge righteous judgment, as Jesus said. And here's the thing. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That's the key. If we would just judge ourselves according to scripture and live in fear of God, then, you know, we, we, we're not going to be judged. You can eliminate God's chastisement in that particular situation because for whom the Lord loveth, he also chastisement. And if you, if you be without chastisement, then you're bastards. What is a bastard? An illegitimate son. So if you're going and you're fornicating and you're doing all this bad stuff and calling yourself a Christian and you're having no chastisement of God, most likely you're not a Christian because the Holy Spirit should be there to convict you if he lives inside you. But then there are without, meaning those in the world, God judge it. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So kick that person out of your church until they either get right with God, repent, then they can come back. But they've been turned over to Satan. What does that mean? Well, what happened to Job when he was turned over to Satan? Essentially, to a certain extent. Bad things. Now, what would that be? That would be God's chastisement. And if that guy, if that guy even if he had married his, his dad's wife, if you saw big time chastisement on him, when he once he got kicked out of the church, if he'd been turned over to Satan, that's a very good sign. That means he could still be saved. That means that that he, you know, he could still repent. He could be like that prodigal son in return. That's a good sign. But if you saw no chastisement of God from him and he just stays with that woman and and everything's going honky dory, it's like, ooh, okay. Well, either way, you've still done the right thing. So Going back to this report, and I'm way over on time. I apologize. These are also the ones that have somehow convinced the rest of Christendom that the lukewarm is the temperature that the Lord has set when it comes to his children and that they are to walk out their walk in lukewarmness. Yet Jesus said the contrary in Revelation 3.16. It says, because thou art lukewarm, this is to the Laodicean church, this is to the church in Revelation of, of all the churches he talked about in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. This is the last one he addressed, and this is the most severe... Um, rebuke he gave to any of the churches jesus said because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot i will spew thee out of thy mouth so as christians we don't want to be lukewarm we want to be either hot or cold well, again you don't want to be cold because you know you know that's not where you want to be as a christian you want to be on fire for god that's where we really want to be um and if we're lukewarm it says he's going to spew us out of our mouth so how, how, how diametrically opposed to scripture can Americans become? Hebrews 1, 7 tells us, who maketh his angels spirits and ministers a flame of fire. Uh, what the church in America has become is a group of saltless, effeminate, and spineless men who fail to judge themselves 
um, Psalm 119.30, and then also if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged, and therefore have no power to confront the world, according to Matthew 7.3, with the message of repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew 3.2. The church is called to bear testimony against corruption, Matthew 10.18, and because they fail to be the salt, they are simply trodden under feet of men, and so it is. The Spirit of the Lord will not bear witness to their compromise and lies, 1 John 5. 9 through 12. Uh, Matthew 5, 13 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, this is Jesus Christ telling, saying this, if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but it is cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. What do we, what do we hear from the church hierarchy today? Well, God is on his throne. Jesus is coming back. Trust Jesus. Throw up your hands up in hopelessness. Yet again, uh, again, scripture commands Christians that they are to occupy till he comes, according to Luke 19.13. Now, this is if you're, regardless of if you're pre-trib belief, mid-trib, pre-rap, post-trib, whatever your belief system there, we're to still occupy till he come. Don't you still want to see, even if you believe in pre-trib, don't you still want to see people saved out of the flaming fire of hell and not have an attitude of, well... I'm going to be out of here before it gets really bad. Therefore, well, tell that to all the, 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 the um, Christians that have been killed in the last hundred years around the planet because they were Christians, particularly in other countries. You know? They weren't raptured, in other words. These hirelings are teaching the congregates to stand down instead of standing up in protest with their lives, if need be. Luke 12.4. Well, hey, absent for the bodies to be present with the Lord. The church is to be the barracks that the soldiers of the cross are to be spiritually equipped from. Ephesians 6, 12 through 18. They are opening up the gates to the wolves, meaning the, the, bad, the bad preachers in the churches, um, according to John 10, 12, so that the sheep may be devoured. Matthew 26, 15. This guy's got a lot of scripture in there. But he's just basically giving you the verses. And I, I'll give you the PDF for this date is going to be October 14, 2019 at contendingfortruth.com. It's all free, so you can go and print out the whole thing if you like. So, John Knox said, For now, the common song of all men is... Now, this was back in his day, okay? Long time ago. We must obey our kings, be they good or be they bad, for God has so commanded. Oh, really? And then he says... Now, granted, this is kind of like Old English, so let me kind of translate a little bit. It says, True it is, God has commanded kings to be obeyed. And then I put in the but. But that which they commit against his glory, meaning those kings that commit bad things against his glory, he has commanded no obedience. Exactly. That's the whole thing of Romans 13 that I did in my teaching. Again, Romans 13. Just key it in at contendingfortruth.com. That verse, that those portions of scriptures only apply. And see, that's another thing the church does. They teach you, Obey the government, do whatever they say, because they're a force for good, according to Romans 13. No, they're not a force for good at this point. I'm not saying no aspects of the government are have any forces for good. And yes, there are still you know good things there. But when they're telling you to do something against the word of God, they're not acting as an emissary of God. They're not acting as a force for good. They're acting as a force for Satan. So you obey God rather than man. And if it costs you your life, oh well. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's just the way it is as a Christian. Oh well. You get to go spend eternity and be with Jesus Christ forever. 
as opposed to hellfire forever and then the lake of fire you know i mean that's the you know it's about as simple as that and then not only that but now you've got gigantic swaths and i didn't even mention this of the church yoked up with the clergy response team and fema and homeland security where the pastors are literally spies on the congregation and are giving the government all of their 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 um whatever intel they're getting on their congregation to the government and they're going to be the very ministers that tell them when the plagues break out will come to the church and get your vaccines and then get on these nice little um uh fema buses or or the train tracks out back because some of the churches back right up to uh train tracks and get on the uh, get on the fema they're, they're going to take you to a nice fema camp and tuck you in no those are de- those are death camps more just came out this week on that gigantic huge incinerators and in ovens they've got in these death camps this one guy got this um he had this cosmic clearance or whatever and went in a report from steve quayle or whatever very, guy very very high up and he saw he saw the gigantic ovens he saw all the spring-loaded guillotines that they've got. Now, listen, you could get, I could go over here and try to instill fear in everybody. And listen, the fear of God is what we want to have, okay? The fear of man bringeth a snare. Guillotines are the fear of man. Ovens are the fear of man, okay? All of those things are being done, though, to, to, to make sure that they're going to get the maximum amount of people terrorized enough where they will deny the Lord Jesus Christ when you're put before those guillotines and have to face those ovens or whatever. That's why they're there. That's why they want people to kind of let, to let this leak out, that they've got these guillotines everywhere where they're going to behead us. What's another reason they want to do that? Well, not only does it inflict maximum terror, but the organs are preserved when they guillotine you. Okay? They don't have to worry about poisoning you with gas. That's going to ruin the organs. Okay, if they if they shoot you, well, that's gonna the the lead is going to pollute the the organs or whatever. Or so guillotines are the most efficient way for their for them to get their organs organ, organ harvesting. Okay, and listen. And again, I'm not saying I said all the stuff at the very beginning of this of this report about deliverance, uh, praise as deliverance, and. And those Bible verses from like Psalms and stuff, that's what we want to focus in on. God always does preserve a remnant. Okay, so I'm not here to, to have everybody in fear about guillotines and big gigantic incinerators and ovens like that. Like a lot of the people in alternative media seem to want to do because they'll talk about these things and they won't commingle scripture with any of it. Okay, you got Doomsday Dave Hodges, you got you got Debbie Downer Tavares, you got a lot of these people out there that are putting out really good information, but they're not nearly commingling it with enough scripture. It's just fear of man, fear of man. And I'm not going to do that, but I will make you aware of it though, but I'm not going to sit here and dwell on it either. Okay, God's bigger than all that. God's bigger than the guillotines. God's bigger than the, than, the, than the ovens. God's bigger than all the Chinese and the Russian troops on our soil or any other advanced weaponry they might have. Remember the verses about Elijah last week when he opened the eyes of his servant. And he says, wow, there, there's more with us than there are with them. He saw flaming chariots of fire. But you got to have the faith to believe that. Because if you don't have the faith to believe it, you're not going to most likely appropriate God's protection in that because without faith it is impossible to please god you can't do it faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god man i'm really over on time here um so let's see the american church will call for prayer yet fail to act the hirelings of the day apparently have forgotten to read the book of acts the scripture is clear on the matter the body is without the 
the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead. True, but but works is not what saves you though, okay? You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because God will not share his glory with anybody, okay? So just don't put the cart before the horse. Now, 1 Timothy 1.18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before thee, that thou mightest a good warfare. That's what we're supposed to do. We're, we're, to, we're to war us to good warfare. Man, woman, child, whatever. We're all called to battle. Now, granted, we're, a, we're part of the body of Christ and not everybody's called to do the same thing. And can the finger say to the eye, depart of me, I have no need. No, we're not all called to do exactly the same thing, but we are all called to warfare, I believe. Christianity is a battle. I mean, if that was the case, why are we putting on the full armor of God? Why does it say instruct all Christians to put on the full armor of God every day? Because we're going to Dairy Queen or the supermarket? Now, granted, you could go to Dairy Queen in the supermarket and actually be engaged in a big spiritual battle. <laughs> you could. I mean, you know what I mean? You could. Who knows what you might encounter there? But from a spiritual standpoint, that's why you put on the full armor of God, because you're going into battle. Christianity is a battle waged against the invisible foes who are always alert and ever seeking to entrap, deceive, and ruin the souls of men. I end with E.M. Bounds who stated, the Christian's life is no picnic or excursion, or it shouldn't be. It is not entertainment or a pleasure trip. It involves effort, wrestling, and struggling, according to Acts 14.22. It demands putting forth the full energy of your spirit in order to frustrate the foe and be in the end more than a conqueror. According to Romans 8.37, it is not a flower-strewn path, no rose-scented affair from start to finish. It is spiritual warfare. It is a battle, not a game. From the moment they first draw their spiritual swords, Christian warriors are compelled to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, according to 2 Timothy 2.3. I mean, I'm sorry, but you just don't hear this kind of preaching in most churches. What a misconception many people have of the Christian life. How little the average church member appears to know of the character of the conflict of its demands upon them how ignorant they seem to be of the enemies they will encounter if they are to serve god faithfully so if you start doing something and you start moving in god's direction don't expect it to be a bed of roses a lot of times that's when you'll get attacked the worst because the devil's going to try to frustrate your plans okay so let me read that last sentence again. How ignorant they seem to be of the enemies they will encounter if they are to serve God faithfully and succeed in getting to heaven and receive a crown of life, according to Matthew 7, 13. They scarcely seem to realize that the world, the flesh, and the devil will oppose their onward march and will totally defeat them unless they give themselves to con constant vigilance and unceasing prayer, according to Revelations 12, 17, which says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. It is just at this point, I mean, to high, highlight the professed church's greatest defects. There is little to nothing of the soldier element in the modern day church. See 2 Timothy 2.3, which we just read. The discipline, self-denial, spirit of hardship and determination that belong to the military life and that are so prominent in military life are lacking in Christianity. Yet, my friends, the Christian life is warfare from beginning to end. Remember, you do not get the victory without the fight. How is the church in America at peace with the corruption in America that is at war with God? As, the Christi as Christians, we will answer for what we do and what we don't do. 2 Corinthians 5.10 The Bible says, Who will rise up 
for me against the evildoers? Or who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? According to Psalm 94, 16. So I'm all out of, I'm, so I hope this even uploads. So uh, God bless you. Stay tuned for a short announcement if you'd like to keep us in the game. And God bless you and we'll see you in part two. Scott Johnson's 1,000 plus audio teachings and PDF documents are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H dot com. In addition, we also offer a free Christian current event and health email newsletter. You can sign up at contendingfortruth.com. These email newsletters typically only generate about three to six emails per month if you subscribe to both lists. Please prayerfully help us to continue this work. For mail correspondence or to support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2359 Highway 70, Southeast, number 321, Hickory, NC, 28602. Or on the internet, a PayPal donation link can be found at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.